Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 2, verses 22 through 35. Listen for God's word for us. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken, that you continue to continue to speak. And uh, God, we ask um, for your care and compassion upon those that are sick this week, those who are traveling this week. Those who are unable to be here, may your tender mercies be upon them. God, I pray for my own heart and mind in the midst of my own battles with sickness, that whatever is heretical due to sickness, we would forget, and whatever is true to your word, we would hold fast to. Guide me even now by the power of your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's Christmas time, and... I always think about this one story of a family who was traveling to go see some, or preparing rather, to to go and see some extended family in another part of the world. And as they were preparing the night before, they got into this really big fight. It ended with everybody going to bed angry. It seemed like there were all these loose ends. To make matters worse, um, there was a power outage in the middle of the night, so they were supposed to get up and make it to their plane early in the morning, but instead of their alarms waking them up, they woke up by the... uh, the, the bus drivers, and so they're all frantically trying to get ready to, to get everything together, to make it on the plane, to go see family, um, and they end up rushing to the airport, and everybody makes it on the plane, nearly everyone, except for an eight-year-old boy who's left out. He's forgotten, right? And <clears throat> what starts off for this eight-year-old boy as a dream come true, I mean, he has the freedom, right, to do whatever he wants without any obstacles, unencumbered freedom to finally break all the rules that his parents said he couldn't do, eventually becomes a nightmare. Or in the end, he wants nothing more than for his family to return. Of course, what I'm talking about is the 1990s film, Home Alone, right? I watch it every year, and every year I watch it, I tear up. When on Christmas morning, when Kevin comes down, I am just a weeper, just period. But every, every time I watch it, when Kevin comes downstairs on Christmas morning and he, you know, he asks Santa you know, to reverse this wish for him to be home alone and to bring his family back, and he goes downstairs and there's no one. The stockings are up, 
And so he goes back upstairs, depressed and dejected, looking at a family photo, and then the door opens. And he runs downstairs, and then he hugs his mom. And then in the midst of their embrace, the rest of the family comes barreling in, right? Kevin is no longer left out of Christmas. I love that. As much as we love our me time, who doesn't love me time? Everybody knows the sting of feeling left out. And it shows up in a lot of different ways. Maybe it's a text exchange with a group of friends when you realize you're looking over someone's shoulder and you weren't invited in. You know, it's that moment at work where there's this inside joke, but you realize you're on the outside and somebody says those dreaded words, you had to be there. And you realize you weren't, right? Or, and as cliche as this sounds, it's real. You're looking on Facebook and you see a group of friends or family and they're like at this gathering or this event and you realize in that moment you weren't invited. Even with my kids, they're like four and five years old. They're having like this little conversation and I ask them like, what are you guys talking about? Nothing, dad. Sweet. Um, <laughs> they're probably talking about my Christmas present. I know what it's all about. <laughs> but either way, whatever it is, that, it feels awful to feel left out. Why? What, what, what is it about that? That feels so awful. Well, psychologists have noted that this feeling of belonging is core to us as human beings. For example, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, psychologists note that this, this sense of belonging comes right after physiological needs like water, air, food, and the need for safety. And this has led a lot of psychologists to understand that some of the earliest responses from us as human beings isn't necessarily fight or flight. Instead, it's reach. It's this longing to belong. That's core to every single one of us. And so when we come to this time of year, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about Christmas, when I think about all that God has done to orchestrate history, to enter into his own world, one of the natural questions that pops up in my mind nearly every year is, who did, who did God do this for? Like all of this. That all the prophets, that all of history has been orchestrating to, to such the point that the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, chapter 4 says, you know, at such a time, at just the right time, Christ entered. Like, why and who did he come for? In other words, who is Christmas for? And as a pastor, and basically as a bleeding heart, I want to say something. Like, my heart, like, deep down wants to give an answer, even though it sounds cheesy. I desperately want to say Christmas. Is for everyone, right? Who doesn't want to say that? Christmas is for everyone. But it doesn't always feel like it's for everyone. Maybe it's for the sentimental, you know, those who have these really good memories of Christmas's past to fall back on. Maybe it's for those really bubbly personalities, the ones who love the movie Elf and want to say, you know, the best place, you know, way to share Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear, like whatever. Maybe it's for the really wealthy who, like I see commercial after commercial, feel guiltless about getting themselves this extravagant gift. Oh, thank you, me, for buying myself a brand new car. <laughs> I want to be that person to some degree. Um, maybe it's for the religious, right? I can even get that, like the religious who want to find one more excuse to find themselves inside of a church building. But everyone? Like, is Christmas really for everyone? And one of the most astounding messages we see across the pages of our text this morning is that that actually rings true, that Christmas really is for everyone. 
And frankly, I need to hear that from you this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We do this every now and then. We're going to do a bit of call and response throughout this whole sermon. So I want you to loosen up. I know it took a lot of energy just to get here this morning, but I need you, all right? So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Christmas really is for, and you're going to say everyone, okay? So it's going to go throughout the sermon, so it keeps you awake. It keeps me engaged. It's really helpful for all of us. Um, here, let's try it out together, okay? Christmas really is for? Everyone. Let's try it again. Christmas really is for? And how God shows that in this text is truly astounding. And that's what we're going to see, that this isn't some cheesy tagline in the midst of a Christmas card, but this idea originates with God. And we need that. I need that this morning. So would you, if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, beginning here in verse 22. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 857. When you get there, can someone just shout, got it? We're going to try this out. Anybody who's, anybody there? Can anybody say, got it? Anybody? There we go. We've got a couple people that are awake. That's good. Now, um, when you get there, so here's the context for the text, all right? When we show up in this passage at Luke chapter 2, verse 22, this is six weeks roughly after the birth of Jesus, which means this is less nice and neat nativity imagination moment and more this, right? This is dreary-eyed, exhausted Mary and Joseph, like they've got a kid that's keeping them up at night. They're trying to get sleep, but probably not getting sleep. And yet, where do they find themselves? They're in the temple, bringing Jesus for his purification and dedication. And what we can never miss, even though Mary and Joseph are in a bit of a, of a very culturally tense kind of situation, right? She got pregnant out of wedlock. She gave birth out of wedlock. There's all of this stigma that's happening in their culture. One thing that is very true of Mary and Joseph is that they are really faithful Jewish people who follow God's law no matter what it costs. And parents, we need to hear this. This is so important. The reason that Jesus, at least part of the reason, and it doesn't make me feel comfortable to say it, Part of the reason that Jesus was faithful from his birth to his grave is because he also had parents who made sure that he was brought to the temple according to God's law. Now, what's also really fascinating here is what they bring to the temple for sacrifice. Now, they bring to the, to the temple, and you see in verse 24, they bring two birds to sacrifice. Either two pigeons or two turtle doves. Turtle doves feel very Christmassy, don't they? Um, two pigeons or two turtle doves. And when we understand that, um, it actually is anchored in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. It's God's provision for the poor that they can bring a very, very cheap, in many ways, sacrifice these two birds instead of the very costly, spotless lamb of God to the altar as a sacrifice for their firstborn son. And we can't miss this. God has always had a heart for unbelievable human dignity, such that he's always paving the way that no matter where you fit on the socioeconomic scale to make his altar, his presence, accessible to everyone throughout history. This is so crucial. We can't miss it. It's really, really dynamic. Now, everybody has to pay something. It comes with a cost, but the scale is gradated, is graded, whatever. <laughs> the scale is different depending on your social location, but he wants to make the doors wide open. 
and what we can't miss. This is so important, that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the same God with the same character, with abundant grace, that even in the law and its stipulations, God is paving the way that anyone, regardless of your social location, is made accessible to come to him. This is an amazingly gracious and just God from all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, it is the same good God. Now, what do we make of this when we're asking this question, who is Christmas for? Is Christmas for exhausted parents? Yes. Is Christmas for the poor? Yes. Is Christmas for those who need a change, who need assistance for the faithful? Yes, yes, yes. Christmas really is for but there's even more here that we can find hope and comfort out of. And when we step into the temple scene, we find that there's this really strange old guy who picks up baby Jesus and takes him from Mary, which is pretty alarming, frankly. And it's out of nowhere that we meet this character named Simeon. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon. Really, the only thing we know about Simeon is right here in Luke's gospel account. Rembrandt, a famous Dutch painter, was just enraptured with this character, such that he wrote three portraits of Simeon over his lifetime. The one that's behind me is the one that he was writing until he died. It's unfinished. Part of the reason some people think that Rembrandt was painting the story of Simeon is because Simeon of older age is seeing death not far from where he's standing and he wants to finish well. And that's similarly where Rembrandt was at that moment in his life. But this is Simeon. He knows the law and the prophets, which often is called the Hebrew scriptures or often dubbed the Old Testament. He knew the promises that God had been making from the dawn of history. And not only that, we see that he's righteous and he's devout. Luke is making that unbelievably specific. He doesn't just know the history and the promises. He's keeping them and holding fast to them. And he's waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel, God's people, and all the promises that God has made. And then when you get to verse 26, something astounding is said, that the Holy Spirit gives Simeon a special word. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit comes to Simeon and says, Hey, Simeon, I know you've been waiting, but trust me, you're going to get to see the Messiah before you die. And he's holding on to this promise. In the midst of so much oppression, God told him, you're going to get to see the initial glimpse. It won't be fully, but you'll finally get to see me breaking in. And he's holding on to it. And we don't know how many days he had heard this or how long he had to wait. We don't know how he wrestled with doubt or cynicism or fear or frustration. Day after day after day he waited, but we know he waited. And some of you may be there this morning. You may know the promises of Scripture and you're holding on to them. You may feel like the Holy Spirit has given you a specific word on how God's going to break in or work through you. And you need to hear that this morning. You're waiting. You may begin to doubt. You may be frustrated. Cynicism may begin to creep in in your own life. And you need to see the story of someone who faithfully waited and how God proved himself to be faithful. Let's look at Simeon. Because as the Holy Spirit worked within him and made him this promise that he would see the Messiah before he died, the Holy Spirit then prompted him to go to the temple courts at just the right time. And he saw something that no one else really saw. They saw 
Jesus, but they didn't see Jesus. Do you notice this? The Pharisees walk by, the Sadducees walk by, the priests walk by. The scribes pay no notice. Crowds are moving and bustling around as if it's another ordinary day, but Simeon saw. He saw Jesus, and he makes his way over, and he realizes that the promise that God made to him has been fulfilled, that God is indeed faithful to bring about the comfort, not just to him, but to a people. So what do we make of this? Is Christmas then for the waiting, the elderly, for old guys who look like Santa? Yes and yes and yes. Christmas really is for everyone. But what he says about this baby, that's the climax of this whole story. This brings us the greatest hope ever. This is the linchpin to the inclusivity of what God has been doing in Jesus and what we remember every Christmas. I can imagine the tears coming down Simeon's face as he held up sweet baby Jesus. And he looked upon him, and in his words, he didn't just see a Messiah, he saw salvation. Waiting and upon waiting, and now the fulfillment began to break in. And he began to sing. And the crowds begin to pay attention that this old, strange man holding up a child begins to sing over this child. And look with me here at verse 29. He sings, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Yes, the promise is in his word, but also the specific word given to him by the Holy Spirit. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. I think in the 21st century, we can hear that word and it can roll off our backs. But you need to understand, I need to understand, we need to understand that for Simeon, his whole life and for a large part of the history of the nation of Israel, the Gentiles were nothing more than brutal oppressors who stole their children, stole their land, occupied their land, put unreasonable taxes that crushed them as a nation, as a people. And yet the whole of Scripture Promises from the beginning that God is not working exclusively for the flourishing of the Gentiles, but through, or rather for the Jews, but through the Jews for all people. You go back to Genesis. And when God calls Abraham, who knew not God and knew nothing of God, and said, follow me and I'll show you to the land to which you go, but I promise you through your offspring, you'll be a blessing to your own. No, you'll be a blessing to all people. And over and over again, this thread and this theme that when God works for the good of his people, the Jewish people, he works for the good of all of his people, including the Gentiles. And this theme goes over and over and over and reaches a climax in the prophetic literature and the words of Isaiah and Malachi and yes, even Habakkuk. And over and over and over again, there's singing of God's astounding work to, yes, work through people who brought such utter devastation to his own people. 
And this, it's picked up again in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, off the words and the lips of Jesus himself when he says all of scripture was pointing that the Messiah would die, he would suffer, three days later he would rise again, and that forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. Not all the different religions, his name exclusively for all nations. All nations, all peoples. Only Jesus is this astounding. That in him we find the inclusivity of all people no matter where they have been, no matter what they have done, that we can find rest in him. He is the one who is powerful enough, the one who is mighty enough, the one who in in himself is fully God and fully man, the Redeemer, Savior, and Lord of all creation. And yet it's still surprised that the Gentiles are included. If you understand how the Jewish people don't celebrate Christmas but celebrate Hanukkah and know why, you begin to remember and see the history of, of legacies of oppression and suffering at the hands of the Gentiles. And yet, and yet, God in his brilliance and his unbelievable compassion has promised not just the redemption of the Jewish people, but yes, even a light unto the Gentiles. And this is... This is crucial, not just for you and for me as we gather together here in the 21st century of Kansas City, Missouri, but it's also very personal for the author of this particular account, Luke. Remember, we are in Luke's gospel account, and the earliest tradition and the large majority of scholarship points to Luke being a Gentile. And as he's doing his historical research, he needs to know for sure. He needs to have great confidence that when God came in Jesus, he didn't just come for the Jews, even if it was the poor and the outcast Jewish people, but that he came even for the Gentiles who have a history of oppression because he belongs to them. And even though he may not have intentionally perpetuated the injustice of the Gentiles, he understood the solidarity of the oppression that was brought by the Gentiles and he needed a savior and he wanted it to be Jesus. He needed to know with great confidence that he had salvation in Christ. And if you go back to Luke chapter 1, that is Luke's goal. To bring about an orderly account of eyewitness testimony. To bring together that the stories we've heard about Jesus are actually verified within history by those who saw them happen rather than mere hearsay or myth. And when he's presenting us to Simeon, Simeon becomes this voice for all of the Torah or the Tanakh, the history, the Hebrew scriptures. He captures this ethos. He knows all of the promises. He's righteous, he's devout, and the Holy Spirit's uniquely working through him to speak in this moment such that when Simeon speaks of the inclusion of the Gentiles and the light of the salvation that's to come to all peoples, we can rely upon his testimony. And all of Luke's architecture is leading to this climax that the Gentiles, even the oppressive, brutal Gentiles are included. Dr. Daryl Bach, one of the world's leading scholars in Luke and its companion, Acts, these two significant books in which the gospel writer Luke 
has compiled together. He says this about this section. He says, we should note in Luke 1 and 2 how God uses a wide range of people and a vast array of social backgrounds to testify to Jesus. People in a rural setting and people in the city, male and female, a young betrothed couple and a pair of senior citizen saints all share in the joy of his coming. Jesus comes for all humanity to unite all humanity. In short, Christmas really is for everyone. And when we get to this time of year, it's so easy to miss. But Luke doesn't want us to miss it. And we can even say it out loud. But it needs to sink into our bones. Because if it's not something we, we hold to with faith, but it's rather an idea we understand, and the two are distinct, we first must understand it before we can trust it, to be sure. But it can't just stop at understanding. It must actually carry the weight of our trust. And when it does, when we genuinely believe that Christmas really is for then that's when we begin to exude and actually embody and inhabit and experience the love, joy, peace, and hope that we've been remembering in these candles. That the salvation that comes in Jesus is made available to us. So why do we miss this? I think there are two primary reasons, okay? Two primary reasons, even though Luke doesn't want us to miss it, there are two primary reasons, and they are this. Deep shame and unrelenting blame, all right? Got to make them rhyme. I'm a pastor, so. Deep shame and unrelenting blame. That everyone that we say at the end of that initial sentence, we can so easily believe that Christmas really is for and that everyone includes everyone but me. Or we can believe that that everyone includes everyone but them. And both of those or what short-circuit the truth and the inclusivity of the gospel and what God has come to do in the world in your life and mine. So let's look at these together. The first one, we believe that the everyone includes everyone else but me. We have this deep-seated shame. Partly because we've, we've heard messages growing up or messages that our culture has communicated to us, and we've internalized them so much that we've started telling them back to ourselves that we're not good enough, we're not rich enough, we're not smart enough, we're not pure enough, we're not healthy enough, we're not strong enough. Fill in the blank. And somehow, somehow, that makes us unworthy of anyone's love. You see, guilt, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's important to review. Guilt is a feeling that comes from doing something bad. You're guilty over an action. Shame is a feeling that somehow I am bad to my core. It has to do with being. Shame tells the message to the deepest recesses of our heart, you are unworthy of love. And when we think about this story this morning here, this moment in history, and especially around Christmas, we can so easily begin to tell ourselves, listen, God didn't give us a child. He didn't send an angel to me. He didn't have the Holy Spirit give me this unique word. It seems like there's all these miraculous stories that are happening to other people 
in history. And the reason that God hasn't done anything truly extraordinary in my life is because I'm not extraordinary and I'm unworthy of love. And that's why he's left me on the outskirts. And so what do we do? We begin to separate ourselves from the ones we love. We hide our truest selves from the people who surround us. And we begin to retreat, telling ourselves, hey, I'm just being proactive because it's only a matter of time before they leave me anyway. But that's not Christmas. That's not what God's come to do in the world. Instead, Christmas is a time where we hear, where you hear, where I hear, where God tells all of creation, you are invited. You are included. Come to me. I love you to the nth degree. In the words of Simeon, in Jesus, God has revealed salvation that has now made its presence before all peoples, which includes you and includes me. Christmas really is for, let that soak in for a second. Whatever shame, whatever past mistakes, areas of sin, messages you've told yourself or have been told about you, what God wants to communicate in Christmas is that you are worthy of his love and he wants to give it unashamedly. He wants to give it abundantly, never endingly. He just wants you to come back to him. He doesn't want you to put any obstacle before you because he's given his own life to remove every single obstacle. This is why he came, that we might return to him. But this isn't the only reason why it's hard to let this message soak in. The second reason is we believe that this everyone includes everyone else but them. And you know who them is. Everybody's got a them, right? Someone who you feel is unworthy of your love. And the hard reality is, is we can say, well, God will love them, but I don't have to. That's not the message we see across, across the Gospels. How we love others is how we understand God's love towards us and others. They are always married together, never to be separated. And there are times where it feels as if someone can be so different from you that it just doesn't feel worth it to give your love, whether because of their distance culturally, racially, gender, orientation socioeconomic status, fill in the blank. It can feel like it's so much that they're just not worthy of your time. Maybe you feel like someone's unworthy of your love because of what they have done to you or to someone you love because of what they stand for or what they stand against. And so we exclude them due to blame and we expend so much emotional energy tilling the ground of bitterness. You see, what Simeon is doing is he's unwinding a theme that has been thread through all 66 books, both Old and New Testament, where God is seeking to reconcile all things, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians. All peoples, every single one, even the Gentiles. You know, it's fascinating that... Where Jesus received his greatest pushback across his ministry on earth was when he was inviting back the outcasts to repent and return. And the rest of society said they know where their place is, the margins. 
It's fascinating that when Jesus is crucified by his oppressors, he's extending forgiveness. It's fascinating that what defines Jesus' followers is not a feeling, but an ethic of proactive, sacrificial service out of love toward one another. You see, Christmas really is for, and if it's for the Gentiles, then it's for them. And this is more important than tinsel or reindeer and presents, and as hard as it is to believe, eggnog. I love eggnog. Anybody else? I know it smells like paint thinner, but it gets me. Um, (laughs) This is at the center of what God's doing in the world. This is why he came to look at them, to look at you, and to bring together us, Emmanuel, God with us. And to remember and to receive Jesus is more than just recounting stories within history. It means following Jesus and his welcoming work. So here's one I want us to invite, I want to invite us to do as a church family, okay? If Christmas really is for... I want you to expand your Christmas circle by one. Very measurable, very attainable. Expand your Christmas circle by one. And this is going to look different for different personalities in here, okay? Um, But maybe I'll look at two different kinds of personalities. For some in here, um, your natural inclination may be to push others away and to live in isolation. Maybe that's because of shame. Maybe that's for a host of different reasons. And so you find yourself in isolation. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to think about who's one person you can say yes to this year. One person. Who's one person you can say yes to? Invite them in. Let yourself be invited in. And maybe the first person is Jesus, transparently. This is the, this is the time of year where we, as, and people across the globe, who are following Jesus, remember what God has done to enter and to break into this world. And you've been holding him out on the fringes, and he's been reaching out saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you've said, I'll get there. Maybe now is the time where you say, yes, I'll follow you wherever you go. But how is this also mirrored in other relationships? Instead of saying you're too busy for that Christmas party or that New Year's gathering or that cup of coffee with someone who's trying to reach out to you, what if this year you say yes? Not to everyone all the time, but to someone. Expand your Christmas circle by one. And I know that's going to come at a cost. For some of you, you want to just sit on the couch and you just want to drink some eggnog And watch some Christmas movies and chill. And there's a place for that. But what if this year you expanded your Christmas circle by one? Say yes. Who's that one person you can say yes to this year? Now for others here, some of you, you you know, you kind of get your groups of three or four. or You know, this is a big deal for families. So a husband and wife with kids or even just a newlywed husband and wife is that suddenly like you cut out all these other people who used to invest in your life and then suddenly it's just us four and no more, us two and no more. And then we wonder where did all of our friends go? Maybe for those of us in this place who happen to have this tendency of just like getting your small group and leaving it that group forever, maybe 
You need to ask who's one person whom you can say, join us. Join us. And maybe that first person, once again, is Jesus. Because this family group has been headed towards a trajectory that's actually contrary to what Jesus has for you. Or that friend group has been heading towards a trajectory, has certain practices that don't honor Jesus, and you need to invite him to be at the center. But also think about those relationships one with another. Maybe you're at work, and actually the way this takes shape is you see someone who sits alone at lunch. They kind of have their quiet time. Don't be the annoying person. If they really want some alone time, get it to them. So my pastor told me to annoy you. No. But tomorrow, if you go into work and someone constantly finds themselves in isolation, maybe what it actually looks like is you asking, can I join you? Maybe as you think about the neighbors in your neighborhood or in your building, it's inviting one person to the Christmas Eve service, whether they're 3.30 or the 5. And you say, well, we would love for you to join us. I don't know what plans you have. I'm sure you've got a lot going on, but we would feel really honored to get to know you a little bit better and to have you join us. Whatever it is, expand your Christmas circle by one. And I know it's going to come at a cost again, right? There's something beautiful about just the people you know, being around them, and it's going to cost comfort. It may cost money because you're putting out one extra plate at a particular meal for someone. And it doesn't have to be a complete stranger every time. It could be someone you know, but you want to get to know better. But what would that look like? Because remember, not only did, did Jesus come for you, but now you get to follow Jesus in his welcoming presence and extend the invitation like he did to you. You know, in my own life, um, Growing up in a single-parent home, there was one family who always made sure to let me know that I wasn't left out, the Georges. Um, now, they kind of had to take me to school and back. We gave them gas money. But here's the deal, because <laughs> my mom had to work a lot of hours, and then my sister, you know, had to work a lot of hours at age 16, so nobody could take me to school. So they got to, got to take me to school uh, and hear me talk very loudly early in the morning. Um, to which Miss Kathy would always say, Gabe, you talk a lot in the morning. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sure it'll pay off someday. And here we are. <clears throat> and, uh, but every holiday that came, came around, they always said, Gabe, you know, family's getting together, and we hope you know that means you. We hope you know there's always a seat at the table. If your mom has to work on Thanksgiving, if she's working Christmas Eve or whatever, you're invited. And not having a father in the home and having a mom who was doing her best to take care of us, like that meant the world to me. And it has left a lasting imprint, not only on how I view the Georges, but how I view Jesus. Because they were avid followers of Jesus and what drove them to do that was their love for Christ and what they saw Christ do for them. So this Christmas, whether you're still exploring Jesus or you've been following him for decades, Please know Christmas really is for. And don't let shame and don't let blame shrink the circle of what Jesus has made expansive. And let's all follow that practice and expand our Christmas circle by at least one this year. Because maybe, just maybe, what happens with Mary and Joseph right after Simeon says something truly astounding about this light for the Gentiles and Mary and Joseph they marvel at what is said about Jesus. There's something unique here. The Gentiles pop up. For, maybe, just maybe, our small little church community and in a city 
as growing as Kansas City is, our city would look at Christ's community and marvel at what is said about us, that no one is left out. May that be true. Let's pray that together. Dear God, thanks so much for your word and your compassion that runs deeper than I can begin to fathom and how your justice has been satisfied with your sufficient sacrifice in Jesus. God, you've thought of everything, but we often forget. So by the power of your spirit, will you remind us, will you urge us, not driven by guilt or shame, but by gratitude to be that welcoming presence for at least one more person this Christmas season. Thank you for all that you've done and that you've welcomed us in. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.